And here is your guest host, Corey Truax. Amongst many other things, Corey Truax, that's me. I get to host the Corey Truax Show Saturday mornings here on WHRT, but I will be with you for these two hours of Christian Worldview today. As I have grown older, I've only grown more sentimental. And for a lot of you watching right now on Facebook Live, welcome in or listening here on WHRT. Welcome to the Tuesday edition. In a lot of ways, I grew up with you. Came to the mic first time, February 5th, 2008, because Dr. Beam found this nerdy kid up at North Greenville University's campus who knew that Super Tuesday was coming up, and I had all the delegate counts memorized. I knew exactly how many delegates someone would get if they won Florida, or if they won uh, on that day, I believe Michigan was a big deal. Oklahoma was a big deal on that Super Tuesday when John McCain would really kind of break through finally over Mitt Romney and Mike Huckabee in that in that race, and I knew which states were proportional delegates, and I knew which ones were winner-take-all, and I don't think Dr. Beam had any interest in that one bit, but he wanted me to come up here and talk about it, and so I did, poorly, much too quickly, and absolutely loved every second of it. Got addicted to doing live radio, and I know, what is that, 2008, 15 years, 15 years of, with some regularity, getting to come here and do something that I, I greatly enjoy. And now coming to a, coming to an end, I come in here this morning knowing likely, unless the Lord does something else in the future, likely my last time on live radio, and there's some sentimentality to it. Just a sweet thing. I love this room that we're, we're broadcasting in. I, I actually have as a theme of decor in my office at once in my home before I got a wife and she fixed everything. A, a theme of decor in my house was microphones. I love microphones. This is what's made up most of my adult life. As I walk into places, they hand me a mic and say, will you talk some? Just you say say some things. And so I come to you today with a ton of, I think, a ton of value. We're going to talk about what's going on in the world. We're going to talk about how to fix our minds going forward. Because this is a this idea of restoral, culture, cultural renewal, both for the church in America, but the United States as well. It's a place that most of us love. We want to see it renewed and restored. That's a long project. We, we live in a, we live in a get exactly what you want whenever you want it world. You are a few taps on your phone away from something being delivered by Amazon to your home tomorrow. I can't remember. Oh yeah. Me and the, me and the wife were, we had a DiGiorno pizza on, I don't know, Sunday night maybe, and realized that neither one of our households, the household she moved into mine, or the one I had, we didn't have a pizza cutter. Uh, it's one of those round ones where you can cut the pizza, so we had to get creative on how to cut this pizza. But as we're doing it, in about two minutes, for $6, she had Amazon deliver us one yesterday. So yeah, it was, it was, it was less than 24 hours. That's the world in which we live. I need a pizza cutter. Okay, cool, you'll have one tomorrow for $6. You, right... 
how about this? We wanted to listen to a particular song last night. Um, it was, uh, and I come to tell you he's alive to, to something about Tear That Fall. It was incredible, a particular rendition. You know what used to happen when you wanted to hear a particular song? You'd wait by your radio with a cassette tape ready to d- hit the record and play button at the same time so you could capture that song. Or you, for that matter, w- w- the, the version we wanted was obscure. You know what I did? I went to my Roku and I hit YouTube and I searched for it and it was there in like 10 seconds. That's the world in which we live. And so now, we look at a world of cultural rot all across the spectrums of what makes up a society. And we're seeing it right now. Our financial system, our business system, so affected by uh, uh, what EI, ESG, equity, uh, cl- excuse me, the, the, go- the government, I don't know why I'm having a, a brain stoppage on that, the, the equity and inclusion, equity and inclusion governance. All across Hollywood, the music that gets created, the shows that get created, all across our education system, in the church for that matter, there's rot. And to get that all fixed, man, that's going to be a long-term project in a world that doesn't understand long-term. So I want to talk about that some today, but that's where I wanted to start. Just with, a, I guess, a gratefulness to all of you for the years of listening and uh, also a reminder, like even tonight, nothing's going to change for me. I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to record the final episode of the Corey Act show for WHRT. But the next week, I'm going to do it again. Well, actually, you know what? I'm not. I'm going to New York City. Ah, no, I'm not. That's actually one of the cool parts of no longer having like a deadline or needing to deliver a show to WHRT is I'll do it whatever I want. And so I think it, my format's going to change. I'll probably do more. I'll do shorter episodes. And many of you went, Amen. I could use you and I could lose I could use you in shorter doses. Yeah, me too. Right? Everyone that's had a dose of me could use me in shorter doses. I'm probably going to do the show more often and less long. You know, people are getting 50 hours, excuse me, 50 minutes a week from me. And maybe that'll still be the case, but that might come in 5-10 minute doses or it might come in a 20 minute dose here and a 30 minute dose there. So that's what's coming. I hope to do some more interviews. One one thing I would rec- recommend to you, and then I want to take a break because I, uh, I got some things I want to come back and do in, in cultural events in the in the modern day. I know we had a big announcement over the weekend that a former president might be arrested today. He's not going to be, but I have some things I want to say about that from a Christian worldview perspective. There are uh, recommending to you a resource out there on the interwebs. The Gospel Coalition is a mostly solid website, and they have been doing a series called The Great Debates, where two Christians who disagree on something come together and have a very, very healthy conversation about whether or not you should homeschool or public school your kids, Uh, what the Christian position should be when it comes to environmental policy, where the Christian should be on gun control. That was a really particular, particularly interesting one because they brought in a British Christian. And because that Brit has no background on how Americans think about guns, it's paradigm shifting. I didn't come away changing my thought about gun policy at all, but it was interesting to recognize how American I am in thinking about guns and how Christians around the world don't have the same preconsiderations because they don't live in a a gun, a a heavily gunned culture like we do. Anyway, they're great debates. What I find is we need to model well for others what it's like to talk to somebody you disagree with. I hope to do more of that, finding the folks who are good at it because Listen, I'll tell you, I even have a Twitter troll here recently. Just annoying and obnoxious and doesn't offer anything. Doesn't offer anything useful. 
there are people who think differently than us that offer something useful. They're, I'll say it, they're usually wrong. But there's something useful that we might need to consider. So I hope to do some of that as well. Cognitive flexibility. That is what I'm going to need from you over the next 45 minutes or so. Cognitive flexibility is this idea of holding in your head, holding in your mind, several ideas at the same time that might seem not to contradict each other, but they pull on each other. They keep things in tension. And as I wrestle through the legal wranglings of the former president of the United States and a potential arrest that's kind of, that might be coming in the coming days or weeks, I'm going to need that from you. Because I, what, what, are we, what are we trying to do here in Christian Worldview? I hope the thing we're trying to do the most is pursue the truth. The truth is often not complicated. The truth is just what is. It's just reality. And while it's not complicated, our predispositions, our biases, sometimes make holding to the truth quite hard. I know that's the case for me. My predispositions, my biases, make it hard for me to see the truth clearly. There's no problem with the truth. There's a problem with us and our ability to process it. So stick with me for some cognitive flexibility. Now, I know you're, gonna, you're probably going to wonder where I'm going with this, but you know what we can learn a lot from when it comes to current events where a, a, a somewhat obviously corrupt law enforcement officer, a, a district attorney in New York City, is going to look to prosecute who is an, a, a, a former president who obviously has done something wrong. You know where we can learn from Habakkuk? And I know some of you might go, wait, what? Who reads Habakkuk? Like, I, I've, I've never ha- gone to church and had the pastor say, now if you would open with me uh, to the book of, the book of, Tabakkuk, uh, of Habakkuk. One of the, uh, the opening chapters, there's an argument that Habakkuk is having with God. And it really is an argument. I think it's worth reading because you'll get some freedom on how you communicate with God about things. And he has the argument, God... Your people, this is Israel, your people are so rebellious. They've gone off the deep end with how they're behaving and what they're doing. And so then God answers back. Okay, well, I'm going to send the Assyrians. I think it's the Assyrians. It could be the Babylonians. I'm going to send the Assyrians to punish them. The Assyrians will come in. They'll, they will punish Israel for what they've done. And then Habakkuk says back, wait, 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 wait. The Assyrians, they're way worse. You can't use them. You can't use a corrupt people to punish a corrupt people. And just like with Job, in the argument Job tries to have with God, God has no patience for, for you questioning his ways. God uses the sinful sin, sinlessly. You know how I know he does that? Because sometimes he uses me. And chief among sinners I am. All the Lord can use is sinners. All the Lord can use is sinning nations. While, I'll give you a modern day example of this, don't, don't freak out what I'm about to say. I, the, what Russia has done to Ukraine is wrong on every moral level. I have some sympathy for the argument I've heard from some Christians that say the Ukrainian people had these corruptions and they've gone off the deep end in these ways getting away from their, uh, their, the, the church that was so dominant there in Ukraine, and God might be using Russia to punish Ukraine for something. Yeah, that might be the case. The same way that God might use all of us. All of us are Assyria. All of us are Babylon. God will use America as Babylon to punish some evil nations. 
And eventually, some evil nation will punish us because we are Babylon. There are no, there are no good, uh, there are no, there are no morally pure nations. We have our own problems. I mean, I would argue for America's superiority in a lot of ways over every other country in the, in the history of humanity. But there's sinful people and sinful things happening everywhere. All right, so back to Habakkuk. What we learn there is that God will use sinful people, sinful nations, to, to punish others. So then I take that to numbers. I think there's also a proverb that says this something we should take take note of in our own lives as we watch the news. Be sure your sins will find you out. It might be in the Psalms that said, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the land. There's nothing he does not see. And while, let me affirm, those of you who are fans of the former president, yeah, it's kind of obvious that this coming prosecution is political. I, I want to affirm that. That's That's clear to me. You know what would make it not possible if that in 2006, a man who married a woman the year before, he married Melania the year before, what makes it impossible if a married man does not commit adultery on his pregnant wife, as he did twice that year. Oh yeah, the, the prosecutor is corrupt. The prosecutor, the prosecutor can be Assyria if you want, or, or Babylon in this scenario. But be sure your sins will find you out. Often our sins find us out here. That might be the case of what's coming for the president. I don't think anything bad's going to happen to him, by the way. I'll explain that in a minute. This arrest in some ways might actually help him in a lot of ways. We should, we should take to account in our own lives. Whatever thing you think is hidden right now, it's, it comes forward. Nothing stays, nothing stays secret. And even if it stays a secret to the day you die on this planet, it will be laid before you on a, on a day of judgment. Let's say this corrupt DA never has exposed his corruption here on this earth. There is coming a day where it will be exposed, and he will pay for what he's done. One of the consequences of committing adultery on your pregnant wife, can we all just grab that for a second? How horrific is that? How sad is it? What, are, what, what a sad reality for a marriage, for those of us who love marriage. What a sad reality for, for a woman to be betrayed that way. The consequences for those actions and then trying to hide those actions might be coming to someone who deserves it. And the person who's bringing the consequences can be corrupt, can be Assyria, can be Babylon, but is bringing potential justice. So that's one thing. Christian worldview here. Uh, what's happening? Well, uh, you can hold the mental, co the cognitive flexibility to know everyone involved can be terrible. That's actually everything you see on TV, everything in politics. Just everyone involved is terrible. I'll give you a line from the governor of Florida. He made a pretty good point in the past about this. He said, none of us should know the ins and outs of paying hush money to a porn star. That's something that none of us should know. But because of the actions of a former president, we all know about it. We all know what it would be like to have to pay off a former porn star. I don't want to be familiar with how that works, but now I'm a, I'm a man familiar with how it works to pay off a porn star. That's I'm, I'm indebted to the former president for that very important knowledge. So some Christian worldview implications to what's happening there is to also think about us, that our sins are going to find us out. Third implication, and then I'll give you some predictions. 
They, better, they being those who prosecute the former president, even if it is just, even if he's broken the law. They need to be careful about what they're opening. We have historically not been the place that prosecutes, use the criminal justice system against your political enemies. You've got to be careful about that. That happens in a lot of countries. We have not historically been that case. But here's a reality. Just like in every industry, there's going to be corruption, law-breaking in politics. There's corruption in banking. There's corruption in the media. And corruption, I mean people who break the law, and it's big, scandalous stories. In education, I mean, right, right now you can Google it, you'll, you'll find teachers sexually violating students at least once a week, it seems like. You, you see that on the news. There's all kinds of cr crimes that are committed in financial institutions. It's, it's everywhere. Of course, there are crimes being committed all across the country in city councils and county councils and state legislatures and at the highest levels. Guys, we have the federal government, I think, is the largest employer in the country. If it's not federal, if it's not the federal government, it's Walmart. One of those two is the largest employer in the country. There's probably crimes being committed somewhere in the in the Walmart world and also in the federal government. We tend not to prosecute politicians because there's a, a level of stability that we project by not using the criminal justice system against politicians. I, I'm just telling you this. There's a, there's a new brand of conservatism that has been born out of this era. It's more aggressive. It's more muscular. And I, I, I just think the, I think the right will respond in kind. If there is an obviously political prosecution of the former president, I don't see how there's not a response where folks on the left who have potentially committed crimes, they start getting grand juries brought together for them. I mean, if, if we're honest, what Hillary Clinton did in 2016 when it came to the holding of class, classified materials, she broke the law. If any of us did what she did, she'd be in jail. That's, that's a, what she did broke the law severely enough that it would lead to a conviction and some kind of severe punishment. We could, but, but we didn't. James Comey at the time, I think that was his name, he reinterpreted the law to say we're, we're just not going to. And he probably made he probably made the right call because it's a destabilizing thing to criminally prosecute high level politicians. It, it destabilizes the the polis, the populace. And same thing here. So I, I would say to the to the folks who are giddy, you're just giddy about it. Can't wait can't wait to see it. All you've ever wanted to see is the former president with handcuffs on and uh, the the where they hold a little sign in front of their face and take the pictures, um, the mugshots. Careful what you wish for, because I think the response would be uh, quite serious. I have a lot more I want to say about that, but first we'll go to the phones. Andy, you are up. Hey, good morning, sir. Uh, first, just wanted to say, you know, thank you for all the years. I've enjoyed uh, the times I've uh, been able to call in, talk to you, enjoy your podcast. Uh, appreciated you and Dr. Beam coming to my church several years ago doing an event. Um, yeah. It's been uh, great to get to know you through the years, and I appreciate everything. Look forward to continuing hearing you on your podcast. Um, wanted to try to chime in on the book of Habakkuk and how it, how it applies here, and it is one of my favorite books um, because I think it does a great job of defending, you know, an almighty, good, and perfect God. Um, but two takeaways on that is, you know, Habakkuk, struggling with, you 
God could allow an evil system, how God could use evil. Yeah. And, you know, us as believers, we always want, and not just believers, but the Republican Party or Democrat Party, we always look at evil on the outside and never look on the evil on the inside. And we want God or somebody to go deal with the evil and corruption that we see on the other side. And God's point was like, when I do away with evil, it's a hundred percent. When Christ comes back, there will be no more evil. And that means, you know, I do away with internal evil and external evil. Likewise, and we as believers always say, God, why don't you do something about that person's sin or do something about that person's sin instead of reflecting on our own sins and how we can get better. And then the, Second thing was Habakkuk's response to God was, I don't understand. But he didn't take the approach of, well, if a good God's going to use evil, then I can't believe he exists, or I've got to turn my back on him and no longer be a believer. Yeah. He said, I don't understand, but I'm going to watch what you do, and the just shall live by faith. This is where that phrase first began that Paul used so many times. He says, I'm going to sit on my watchtower. And I'm going to live by faith, and I'm going to watch what you do, because I don't understand. It doesn't mean I don't believe you, love you, trust you. It just means I don't understand how this is going to work, but I'm going to watch with faith and apply it to my life. So great takeaway from Habakkuk. Good good way to put that in this illustration here. Yeah, Andy, thank you for the kind words, one, but also well well said, good exegesis on, uh, on Habakkuk. That is the, the key phrase coming out of it, is the, the just shall live by faith, or the righteous shall live by faith knowing, we have just so much good evidence to know, what the Lord is doing is wise and good. We have done the biblical implications, Christian worldview implications of the the biggest story right now, a likely, or at least pending, uh, indictment of the former president of the United States. While I, I think we've done the Christian worldview implications, I'd want to give you some predictions, maybe what to expect of what to come, some facts of the case, and then I do want to defend one thing I have just sort of said without building out. I've said that the the indictment would be largely political, and I've called the DA there brag, corrupt. I want to at least establish why I'm saying that. At least three reasons. Uh, one is the approach here on this indictment is novel. It's something that, will, if it is successful, it would have never happened before. And when you're doing something extraordinary, and the prosecution of a former president is extraordinary... You, you should do that on well-established grounds, not on novel legal theory. So, for example, the statute of limitations for campaign finance laws in New York have passed, and the, uh, the, the, fe- well, excuse me, the federal campaign finance would have been 2021, because this, this thing happened in 2016, so five years was the statute of limitations, and the New York state law that would have been violated has a two-year statute of limitations, so it's 2018. So that's one. There's... There's a novel legal theory on which there'd be interlocking laws that got broken here. And even the New York Times yesterday in their morning newsletter said this is this is a dicey case. Even if it got brought before a jury and a judge, they don't think it would work out in an actual conviction. And I don't either, which is why I, we, we all know about my feelings with the former president, not a huge fan. I think this actually ultimately helps him with his his core people making him feel persecuted and the systems after him and all that stuff. And so it actually helps him in the end. So one, why is it corrupt? Well, in part, because it's new, it's new, it's novel, it's unlikely to succeed. Two, because it is, uh, 
almost a post hoc ergo, uh, I forgot how that Latin phrase ends. They're looking for the they're looking for a crime, not a criminal. The way that criminal justice is supposed to work is you discover a crime. There's money missing. That person is dead. That person is missing. There's a some crime has been committed. Some jewels that were in that place or some money that was in that place is missing. And then you go try to find the criminal that committed the crime. In this case, a person was presented. Here is a former president. Can we find anything? Can we find anything to charge him with? There's corruption in that. That you don't, you're not just prosecuting the crimes that you witness. It's that you're looking for a crime to pin on somebody. And the final thing is there's corruption in it obviously being political in that the New York DA's office, they got a whole bunch of problems right now. Crime is a problem there. While there are misdemeanors, and by the way, the state law that would have been violated here by the former president is a misdemeanor. Misdemeanors right now are being let go for no big deal in New York City. They're trying to deal with bigger, violent crimes. And so while a bunch of misdemeanors are just being dismissed and ignored, you're talking about using lots of resources on this one misdemeanor because of who it is. So that's why I call it a, a corrupt. Now, again, I've already said it would be justice. The justice coming to the former president for what he did? Cool with me? I'm, that's one of the ways in which I'm, con I'm consistent is I always want justice against anyone who does something wrong. So if you burnt something, broke something, did something in the summer of 2020 in your protest, I want you found, I want you prosecuted to the full extent of the law for what you did in harming property during your protest. If you did something you weren't supposed to do, go somewhere you weren't supposed to go on January of, in January of 2021 during those, those riots at the Capitol, I want you found. I want you prosecuted to the full extent of the law for whatever you did. And if you cheated on your wife, on your pregnant wife in 06 and then tried to, tried to cover it up in 2016, I want you prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Also, if you're a corrupt prosecutor who's using all of your power improperly because you think it's going to make you more famous and grow your name in renown, I want the voters to vote you out or I want whatever consequences are for you. I'm pretty consistent. If you've done the wrong thing, I want bad stuff to happen to you or for you to make it right. Or I want recompense. This is where the, that, cons that consistency feels good, especially in relation to the former president. Because here's what I've noticed over the years. There are large groups of people that put him in the category of super. He's either a superhero or he's a supervillain. He's a superhero and all that he does is good and all things can be excused because he's doing good. He's a superhero. And then there are those. He's a supervillain. And whatever we must do to stop him, very literally, if it's break of the law, if it's corruption, whatever we must do to stop him must happen. And what I want to say to both of them, he's not super. He's not special. You, sh you can't do special things to oppose him outside the law or new and novel things in opposition. He's not special. Just a guy. He's he, he was <laughs> he's a different kind of guy than we're used to. And I, I have a lot of negative things that I would put in the, but I say not the kind of guy we're used to. I, I, my mind is actually mostly negative things. But you can't do super or special things to support or oppose him because he's just a guy. We've got to live inside the system. Like the, the even the idea of this prosecution. It's outside of normality. It's outside of what we do in in the country normally. That the, actually, the healthy thing is to move on. The healthy thing is if the district attorney of Southern in Southern Manhattan, which I think Bragg holds that position, is to worry about the crimes going on in his part of the city. That would be helpful. 
that would be the healthy thing. But because we've placed this person in a special category, he's a super category, we can't get can't get past him. And it's it's super damaging. Okay, I think I think that's all I wanted to say about the president. Oh oh yeah, prediction. That's that's what I wanted to do. Prediction. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see how he's not indicted. I don't think it's to, I don't think I don't think it's today. I don't think it's happening today. My suspicion is you know, the guy doesn't have much of a filter. He just says whatever pops into his mind. And there's probably lawyers talking to people in the DA's office in New York, and he got he got a whiff of what is coming and then just went on to his little site website and put something out there. But it's it's not not because the case is good, I think the case is pretty weak, but because the prosecutor is intent on prosecuting it, there's gonna be an indictment and an arrest, and I I don't know about a trial. I mean, depending on if he's tried with a federal felony or a state misdemeanor, I just my prediction is he he will be both indicted and acquitted eventually. Both those two things, indicted and acquitted, and in between, what will be driven to him is the thing that fuels his entire his entire life. Attention. It's like Tinkerbell. You know, remember Tinkerbell? She she needs you to applaud for her, or Tinkerbell will fall apart. He's a lot like Tinkerbell. And it, but it doesn't have to be applause. It can be just any attention whatsoever. <laughs> uh, the Office, uh, one of my favorite shows. Near the end of that series, there's a character named Andy who is, and this show went off the air in like 2010 or 2011. He, he, he's quite the preview of what was to come in our lives. He goes viral on what is obviously a parody of American Idol. And because he cries and falls apart on the show... And he, he says into a camera, I'm no longer seeking fame for uh, for singing. I'm now seeking fame of any kind. And so it doesn't matter if it's infamy or fame. He just needs everyone to know him. He just needs to be famous. And it can embarrass the mess out of him. But as long as he's famous, he's going to be okay. And now granted, that's a disease that has gotten into a lot of minds in the United States of America. That's what TikTok and Instagram are often about, is just people trying to grow their name and renown. There's a little bit of that in the in the former president as well. It doesn't need to, doesn't even have to be positive attention. It's just attention. As for the timing, I, that's the hard part here on on timing is that criminal justice post COVID moves so slowly, and so the time between an indictment and a trial, or the, there could be a, a settlement out, outside of a national trial, could be so long. I, I don't know. I don't know how to put in it put a prediction on that timing. But those are the ultimate things I think will happen. Indictment, acquittal, and in between, lots and lots of attention that will ultimately help the former president because uh, it hardens support around him. I'm done with it. Moving forward, I think the most important thing for any of us is to get our, don't get scared of this word, is to get our theology straight. Now, I, I'm not taking you into Bible class right now. I'm not doing that. I know we've already mentioned Habakkuk and quoted numbers. You know how many morning shows this week? Are going to quote numbers in Habakkuk in the opening in the opening hour? One, just this one. This is the only one that's going to talk about those two. So I'm not necessarily taking you to Bible class right now, but I am. One, I want to ask a fundamental question that we're going to explore this segment and going into hour two as well. For those of us who are looking for Christian worldview, one of the core questions needs to be: Are we are we the church? Let's go with where we are in America, but this is what apply to Christians everywhere. Are we waiting for rescue 
or are we marching forward? What is your posture? I think my posture over 15 years on the air has changed. I think my theology growing up, or what I adopted, was a waiting-for-rescue theology that inevitably disintegration would come upon us because it comes on it comes on every people and every culture has to disintegrate eventually and we wait for rescue we wait for Jesus to return and he'll rescue us from all these bad things that position historically is a is quite minority in the church that's not how we used to think when i say we i'm talking about centuries of christianity across europe and the christianity that came here even just th- think of that idea, the, the folks who came across the ocean who were Christians in the Mayflower Compact. If you're just waiting for rescue, you probably just stay in Europe and just know it's bad here. Lord, come quickly. We'll just stick around and wait for the inevitable. It's an act of hope to say, no, th- there can be something better. Let's take a harrowing six-week journey across the Atlantic Ocean that none of us ever have. Let's try to, try to start something new. Let's go somewhere where there's no infrastructure. There's no sewer system. There are no streets. Like, let's literally go build a civilization. That's an, that's an act of hope. And I, th- I think if, if we don't fix our answer to that theological question, are we here for rescue or are we marching forward? If we don't fix that, I don't see how we make progress in the things that we want to see progress on. And when I say that, where do we want to see progress made? We want to see families sticking together and stop splitting apart. We want to see our entertainment mechanisms not be so raunchy all the time and tell good good stories. We want our arts to not be so prevaricating. Uh, That's not the word. The, The word I'm looking for is... Where they're just constantly looking for attention by being gross. Like the, the provocative, found it, thank you, Lord. Uh, pro, pro, a provoc- being so provocative in the arts, instead creating something beautiful. We want our government to stay in its lane and not play the role of dad and mom to children and not, not diminish religious, religious liberty. We want government to do just the things it's supposed to do. We want our media to tell the truth. We want our education system to educate our kids and not expose them at nine years old to sexual content. Those are the things that we want, right? And if you if we end up having a wait-for-rescue mindset, I don't think we're going to do the work of, of preventing those degradations. And I think it makes us susceptible to those who would love to play rescuer. It makes us susceptible to to those who would come along and say, just give me power and I'll fix it. You know, it it is actually your responsibility and it's mine. It's, It's not just your pastor's responsibility. It's not your politician's responsibility. It's for us. For families to stop disintegrating, for the education system to teach well, for business to stop being corrupt and how it... I mean, I would even put some in the business category for us to consider how businesses treat their employees, for the arts and entertainment to stop being so raunchy, for government to stop trying to play the, the mom and dad role. That's just going to take us doing some work with the people around us.
there's a, a scholar I follow who's, who said recently, we've gone through some decades of the church trying to win people to a Christless conservatism. I think that's not f- totally right, because there's been some faithful Christians trying to convert people but and convert them to a real Jesus-following Christianity, but not, not enough. I don't think we have enough of that. We, we, ha- we do have too much of trying to convert people to our Christless, Christi- our Christless conservatism. Listen, I, I think conservatism is... It's what I am. It's a, it's it's marked my political th- ideology. I think it's the most biblically informed worldview. The 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 Reagan esque type conservatism. It's that word means a lot of different things now. But I don't I don't know that I can hold families together, or fix the media and the entertainment complexes, or cure the corruption business or government by people understanding that free markets are better than socialism. I don't think I, I can see a culture cured of its rottenness by people just mentally assenting to the idea that, yeah, kids need moms and dads. That's what they need. Kids need moms and dads that respect each other and, and love each other. Without going to that deeper level. That it's not just that kids need moms and dads, it's not just functional and practical, it's that marriage is a picture of the union between Christ and the church. It's that families are God's first institution for the cultivation of a culture. Without it going deeper, that businesses should treat their employees well and their customers with honor because their their employees and their customers are made in the image of God. And while you, CEO, lead and make decisions, you are partnering with the Genesis mandate to go cultivate the world around you in the decisions you make, you need to make in consultation with biblical worldview. I don't know that my conservatism can save the media and the arts from themselves when the, the idea here is just, just tell a virtuous story with your art instead of saying, man, the, the first words of the Bible, the first words are in the beginning God created. What a creative God. You, you don't need much evidence of that, but just to go outside and look around. Your world isn't gray and drab, it's so colorful. There's so much variation, even in your own yard, of the birds that come in and out. From where you sit, if you're in Greenville, South Carolina right now, you're just three to four hours from the ocean. You're just a couple hours from some really incredible Great Smoky Mountains. God is creative. When you, when you create, you are doing something that you're made to do as you're in the image of God. So that's so this core question. Are we waiting for someone to come rescue our families and our churches and our education system and our media and arts and business and government? Are we waiting for someone to do it? Or have we been commissioned to march forward? That, and that marching forward really looks, it looks like the work of the church. It looks like making converts. Not making voters that will, uh, good, good tangent here. I was recently reminded of the great quote from Margaret Thatcher, that great prime minister of England in the 80s. Her quote was, first you win the argument, then you win the vote. I don't know if that's true anymore. I don't know if anyone's interested in winning the argument anymore. We just try to win the vote. There's very very few arguments put forward anymore. We just kind of talk about how we feel. 
feelings and emotions kind of run the, run the place like we're not adults. The, I don't know that we, we're not going to win the arguments really until we win the person. And the work of the church there in Acts was certainly go meet the needs, the physical needs of the people around you. But it was a, a gospel mission. It's the, the, that's what we call it, right? The Great Commission is the Gospel Commission. It's the mission statement of the church. It's the mission statement of your life if you're a follower of Jesus. The mission statement of your life is not to see in, in particular people elected. That's uncomfortable for some of you. you. You live in elections, in politics. That's your thing. And if politics isn't going well, then life isn't going well. And I'm just telling you, I want to deburden you from that. That's not your purpose in life. It's important. Elections are important. Government is important. It's one of the things. It's one of the categories. It's, it's just not, it's not everything. And if this thing that you care about so much, it's only going to change if people's hearts change. Listen, I see the same rot you do. I, I see the same degradation that you do. And I think about my two nephews now, uh, 19 and 17. I think about my nieces, my, my much younger nephew. And I think about them at my age and the world they're going to live in. I don't want it to be rotten. I don't want to continue to be degraded. I know the talk radio audience tends a little older. And so we, we've got those kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews. And I hope you think about the world they're going to live in and wanting to make it better. Yeah, guys, I just I look at all the ways I can do that, and and I don't see any that work long term, except changing the hearts of the people that are here. There's not enough government power to make it right. There's not enough. There's not enough business power. There's not enough education power. Only way that's going to change is for the people who choose their leaders or the people that occupy the CEO's desk, the people who are making the movies, the people that are approving the, the, the artists that make the songs in Nashville, it's only going to change if those people have a radical experience with Jesus. And that's what we, I want to do in hour two. Is kind of, I sort of ask that question. What if the Lord gave us all that we wanted tomorrow? What if the CEOs of all the entertainment companies and news companies were Christians tomorrow? What would happen if a vast majority of Congress came to faith tomorrow? Are we ready for that? Do we know what we would, we would pursue? What it would look like? I want to give that some thought. Build that out. 